Welcome back to Pod is a Woman. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. And this week, we saw Trump hit the campaign trail again as early voting is continuing to surge. But first, let's talk about Amy Coney Barrett. Her confirmation hearings just started, and there is a lot to unpack. Well, I mean, with 20 days until the election, we seem to really be pushing through this nomination, and it's getting really contentious. No doubt about that. I mean, I I don't know, you guys, <laughs> when we saw the super spreader event of her nomination, I think all of us were kind of like, you know, maybe this will check the brakes on people and remind them that COVID is real and that they need to focus on helping the American people instead of their own political interests. And instead, we see President Trump get the best and most exclusive care available for his COVID diagnosis, and then take his COVID ward on the road to spread the wealth around to America while they are continuing to push forward their political agenda in the Senate. And it is just really frustrating, I think, for any American who realizes, you know, every day, 700 to 1,000 people are dying of COVID. And yet we're talking about Amy Coney Barrett with our Senate. They've had 150 days to pass COVID relief, but we are talking about Amy Coney Barrett. So let's talk about Amy Coney Barrett because she has now brought her children into the um, Supreme Court nomination or into the committee hearing, right? right? And, you know, more than ever, we are seeing a mother with young kids, lots of kids, seven kids, come before all of these senators and make her case to be on the Supreme Court. Well, I know we talked a little bit about this last week, and this was one of the things that struck me the most is seeing all of her children at this nomination and none of them were wearing masks. And I thought, as a mother, and Johanna, I know that you understand, and Alejandra, I know that you also understand, as someone who is looking to protect my children at all cost, I can't imagine having my children out at a public event like that, outdoors or not, where they do not have their masks on. I don't want anybody touching my kids. I want people to maintain their social distance from my children. And I just looked at that and it really made me question her judgment. Like if you would do that to your own children, how should we expect that you're going to protect the American people when it comes to your ruling and your decision making? See, I keep going back and forth on this because on one hand, I want people to recognize that the father was sitting with the kids, right? So he could have put the masks on. As a mom, I know that Hugh, my son, is best putting his mask on when other people around him are modeling that behavior. And President Trump does not model that behavior. That's part of the frustration. And so, you know, I agree with you, Darian, that it is a real question because in the one thing she keeps saying when she's asked about questions is that she always puts herself in the losing side and says, you know, if this was my child, would I think that this is a fair interpretation of the law? 
But so, I, you know what? I want to jump in here because I feel like in a way we're kind of doing exactly what we're criticizing other people for doing, which is like starting to really focus on her children. So I want to like bring this right. back to the confirmation hearings for a second, because this actually was a, something that Ted Cruz did during the confirmation hearings to center the conversation again around her children. And I, I want to be careful that we don't do the same. You know, Ted Cruz used most of his designated time to to kind of wax poetic about different issues, religious freedom, the Second Amendment. And then after the speech, he said, Judge Barrett, I'm not going to ask you about any of that, to respond about any of that. And instead asked her about her hobbies and her children. He asked if she spoke any foreign languages. She said she studied French, and they kind of joked a bit about that. He asked if she played musical instruments. She said she played the piano, asked if her children had also played the piano, and then finally asked her, what advice would you give to little girls? Now, I'm all for women showing up with all of themselves and all these different pieces of who they are, but the fact that he started focusing so much on her children and not on her positions, to me, was a very strategic choice on his part of what it is he's trying to get across and trying to put her values and what he sees as her values as a woman and as a mother as being the centered issue. So again, I, I think she has a beautiful family. And, and I think we should definitely celebrate her for the balance that she has. But let's talk about how she feels about the issues, because that, how she feels about the Affordable Care Act, how she feels about Roe versus Wade, is what's going to affect us as women. Yeah. And Alejandra, you're, I think that you're totally right. And we're in a situation where you have seen, we've seen two confirmation hearings prior to this where a man is the focus and none of it is based on his family and the kind of father that he is and how he's raising his children. That has not been a focus of any of these previous confirmation hearings, but it's kind of been the sole focus. You're right. And see, I think it's because Trump picked this fight on purpose. He wanted to push her through right now instead of, you know, a milk toast nomination so that there would be this focus on how can you deny this mother, this patriot kind of conversation. And the whole thing is 16 days. They're trying to rush this through. This is a lifetime appointment. Why now? Why do you have to do it? And then on the issues, so on Roe, we just started talking about how Roe v. Wade is coming up. And I don't know if you guys saw the AKA Jane Roe, but I watched it and it was about the woman who wanted to get abortion access and was not able to get it. And there's a really painful and kind of foreshadowing moment on that where the night before the election with Trump versus Hillary, she said, Roe will never be overturned. And then the next morning when Trump had won, she said, this makes me sick. I'm I'm about to get sick. And for so long, people have taken their rights for granted, and they are absolutely being pushed right now by the Republicans because they have promised to overturn Roe v. Wade. Even when she was pushed on this by Senator Amy Klobuchar, you know, she said that she does not consider Roe versus Wade as a super precedent case. And she did make the differentiation when she was talking about Brown versus Board of Education. She said, you know, it was considered super precedent. It shouldn't be overruled. But she could not make that same um, assertion about Roe versus Wade. I mean, you can't be any more clear about where she stands. That's exactly right. And that's why she was nominated. And you look at this and someone who is so concerned with Roe versus Wade and being pro-life, how can you 
advocate for that, but then look at the Affordable Care Act and all the children who are impacted by that and not want to take that up and protect that and build on that. Well, and that's the point that so many of the Democrats have made is that, you know, anyone who thinks that this is not about this fight, like, number one, Trump broadcast his list of Supreme Court nominations before his election. And that was to give Republicans the confidence that he would appoint someone who would be in line with their philosophies. And so they will help enact those philosophies. And number two, you know, here we are in this situation where I loved it when all of their statements that were just like, no, we wouldn't approve someone in President Trump's last term. They are now doing it. So then Mike Lee actually asked about court packing. And this was something I know we brought it up with the Kamala debate last week, but Amy Coney Barrett, you know, pointed out that the number of justices, nine on the Supreme Court is judicial. It's not constitutional. She said it's not constitutional. So then he asked, you know, what could happen if you start increasing that number? He thinks that the Republicans would get power and then the Democrats would get power. And then he said, pretty soon you're going to end up like the Senate in Star Wars with tons of justices. But he also made the point, how can nine justices represent 300 plus million people? And that's a fair question, too. So I think, you know, it is all of these questions that are coming up are really important. But I don't know at this point, because the Republicans have shown that they are so determined not to pass COVID relief, but to nominate and approve a Supreme Court justice nomination for life in 16 days. How do they get how does that get stopped? Yeah, the, the questions are very important and the the answers, the foreshadowing that is providing is very important to note right now. I just want to flag two more things that when she was asked by Senator Feinstein whether the president can postpone the election, she dodged and said, you know, she would need to hear arguments, read briefs and so on. I mean, that is very concerning that that was the kind of dodge she did there. Another time that she dodged was when Senator Klobuchar again asked her if it was illegal to intimidate voters at the polls. She didn't respond directly to the question and said, you know, it's a hypothetical situation and I can't apply the law to hypothetical situations. These are the pieces that feel political. Right. And, you know, there's there's no secret anymore that this is a, a political play by the Republican Party. But again, it's important for us to feel that our Supreme Court is not partisan. And it's seeing the way she's answering these questions, again, is not giving us that confidence. It definitely isn't. And, and to that point, Alejandra, why is it not court packing when you hear a single nomination until it's your own party's nomination and then you'll just push them through? How is that not court packing? It certainly feels like they are playing political games and it's wildly frustrating. And even saying that the Washington Post reported that in this five hour hearing, she spoke for 12 minutes in total and it's Republicans pontificating and Democrats trying to defend what has already been set. And it's it's wildly frustrating. And another thing that I'm finding is frustrating is seeing Trump back on the road. Oh, boy. Don't get me started here. <laughs> These Did you rallies. guys see him tossing masks out the crowd like it was like a rock concert? Oh my gosh, kind of like when he was in Puerto Rico tossing the paper towels. 
All I kept thinking when he was tossing him is like how much if it was tossed at me, I would like jump away from it like like a bridesmaid who doesn't want to get married at the wedding from the bouquet. <laughs> you know, like it was oh, one of those right. things where it's like COVID patient no, throwing you, out masks. Who wants to touch something that someone who just just to the hospital with COVID touched? I mean, I, I don't even touch doorknobs these days. <laughs> I mean, I don't even see how it's safe for him to be traveling. I know his doctor, um, Sean Connolly, said that he's you know, capable of traveling and he's tested negative on consecutive days, but wouldn't give any clarity around which of those days they are. And I saw him dancing and showing a little bit of his silly side. I've definitely never seen President Trump dance, but to have him say, like, yeah, I to feel YMCA, so, by the to way, to YMCA. Like, <laughs> oh, my word. He's evidently, you know, now he's also for gay rights, even though he's actually not. Like, he, just to be clear, he's a walking contradiction. And he says, you know, I feel so powerful. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I'll kiss the guys and the beautiful women. I'll just give you a big fat kiss. And that turns my stomach. Can we talk about the fact that he qualified it? He didn't say, I'll kiss the guys, I'll kiss the women. He said, I'll kiss the beautiful women. Just yeah. the beautiful women. <laughs> just so the beautiful just, women. Just the guys, the beautiful women. But those ugly women, they, <laughs> oh they get to God. escape. You know, it's, uh, uh, look, I think he's, he's really worried. You know, Biden has a small lead in Florida right now. And I'm sure that's not a situation that they thought they were going to find themselves in. And to, you know, to have like Sean Connolly, the White House doctor, be saying, you know, he's not contagious, he's negative and everything. Again, it's just as the distrust, because we saw him being basically airlifted to the hospital last week. And now we're watching him just like talking about kissing everyone and throwing things into the crowd. It is the cognitive dissonance that is going on in my head right now I don't even know like while his voice is still so scratchy and he's still having trouble speaking clearly you have Dr. Fauci saying that he's asking for trouble by holding these rallies and what I've learned throughout this pandemic it's if you're not listening to anyone you should be listening to Dr. Fauci He's taken this show on the road and Darian and Alejandra you and all of us have been on Air Force One so we know that is actually a compact plane, right? Because there's a lot of space for operations and communications. And then where you are in the staff seats or the press seats or the uh, the Secret Service seats, they're actually very closely mm -hmm. packed in. It's not like you are socially distanced. And from what I understand from press reports, they are largely not wearing masks on that airplane. So if they are not wearing masks on that airplane, it is very different than standing on your balcony like a, a, a Vita. Like, it is, it is very different than like yelling out to the, you know, yonder. It is getting all of your team on a secure airplane and taking them together with your disease to another site to infect a group of people. And it's, you know, there are massive amounts of teams that carry out these events. And I think that ordinary Americans do not know what goes into it. But before the president goes anywhere, they have to send car planes. They have to send all of the helicopters if he needs a helicopter. These are big teams now going into all of the, they stay at hotels. So they're going into the hotels in local communities and we are seeing the rates rise in COVID. And so I know that the president thinks that COVID is very inconvenient, but for the 700 to 1,000 family members who are losing their family member every day, my God, please stay where you are. 
do want to talk about the Evita thing this weekend, like the little, you know, balcony show. Did you guys watch that? Yes. Was it Blexit for Trump? Yes! Yes! It, can't, it was well, Candace's Candace Owens. Owens. Yes, yeah. bless her. Oh she God. shows up with, with a group, but people were pointing out that a lot of the Blexit folks wearing the t-shirts were actually not black. There were a lot of white people wearing Blexit shirts, which... Didn't well, my understanding is in order to take part in the rally, you had to be willing to wear the T-shirt. And Candace Owens's group was flying these people in from across the country. And I get, I mean, we all know how incredible it is to have an opportunity to be at the White House and be on the South Lawn and to experience that. But this sort of manipulation just doesn't seem right, regardless of what party you're a part of. No. And also it to me, truly, you have not announced a negative test. And the first people you choose to infect are potentially infect are black and brown people on the South Lawn. Really? (laughs) Is that really what you want to like convey? And the Marine Band played, you guys. The Marine Band should not play at a political rally. You shouldn't have a political rally on the South Lawn. And it's like, don't cry for me, America. I want him <laughs> to go away. <laughs> Haven't you heard that Trump is creating his own army? I mean, we're, we're, this, there is no like floor here. Like there's literally an armyfortrump.com website that is, you know, totally blessed by his campaign to make calls, to knock on doors, to register voters, be a bundler. I mean, it, it looks like a typical kind of campaign volunteer website, except for the rhetoric that they're using, which is Army for Trump. And it's very clear, again, that they want to create this environment where No, none of that matters. None of the decorum matters. This is a a leader that is like beyond reproach. And and they're they're fanning that, obviously, and even using the the terminology that that evokes it. Well, that's right. And when you see no one has an army for a person. We have the U.S. Army. We don't have the Trump army. That's right. And you're saying Facebook start to take down these ads and banning militarized language, especially around poll watching. And if people don't understand that these armies for Trump are really just voter intimidation, then I don't know how more clear it could be made. And as we're looking at these armies for Trump, we also start to look at some of these endorsements. And we have Trump being endorsed by the Taliban, them saying, we believe that Trump is going to win the upcoming election because he has proved himself a politician who accomplishes all the major promises he has made to the American people. Although he might have missed some small things, he did accomplish the bigger promises. So it is possible that the U.S. people who experienced deceptions in the past will once again trust Trump for his decisive actions and you look at that compared as did we just read an endorsement press release from the taliban like is that what just happened from the taliban for president trump i mean (laughs) if the taliban both the taliban and the kkk are endorsing you you got to take a really long look at your positions because there is something super wrong with them i mean i saw this and i mean he does kind of act like a dictator. I mean, more than kind of. But for the Taliban to weigh in on this, like, I I don't know if they think they're helping, but I do think that that needs to get out. Meanwhile, 
Vice President Biden and Kamala were given glowing endorsements. Alejandra, the LA Times actually said that he was the antithesis, you know, in terms of Joe Biden bringing people together and always believing in that. Um, The Arizona Daily Star, the Palm Beach Post, the Tampa Bay Times, the Des Moines Register, the Gazette, the Quad City Times, the Portland Press Herald, the Bangor Daily News. I mean, I can't imagine any newspaper is not going to endorse Biden at this point. There actually was one. It's the one that that Sheldon, the casino magnate, owns in Vegas, that one endorsed Trump. Okay, well, there you, he has that one. But I mean, talk about kind of putting these two contrasts next to each other. While Trump is in Florida, potentially still, you know, we don't know everything about COVID, potentially still infectious, tossing things in the crowd. Biden is in Toledo, Ohio, talking about the auto industry, talking about the work he did in the Obama administration to keep the industry afloat. It actually shows that Ohio could be a competitive race now. No Republican has won the White House without Ohio. So, you know, Trump can go and and do all of his distractions. And, and I remember you were ta- when you were talking about Air Force One earlier, Johanna, all I could think about was the Air Force One airplane parked behind the stage. It like all lit up, you know, yeah. and this just like, again, just political theater. But, you know, Biden has his head down and he may not be getting as many hits on CNN, but he's doing the work. He's visiting the battlegrounds. And, you know, now that early voting has started, he's, you know, racking in the miles. Well, let's talk about where we stand with early voting. Yeah. No, that is actually the good thing. And this is the thing to remember. As awful as we see these massive crowds with Trump and we see, you know, these very worrying signs, the real numbers of where our early votes stand are good but should not be taken for granted. People have to vote and we have to vote this despot out. So right now, in terms of all of the voted mail ballots by party registration in the states that are already out, California, Florida, Iowa, uh, Maryland, North Carolina, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and South Dakota, Democrats have 3 million returned ballots. Republicans have 1.2 million. And we can actually go through each state. But Democrats right now are in the lead. Now, of course, there's going to be legal challenges should anyone be trying to throw out all of those ballots, and they are. The Republicans are actively seeking to challenge all of these ballots. Should every single vote count, Joe Biden should be our next president. Well, I look at all the all of the polls that we're seeing, and I'm the kind of person, especially after the 2016 election, that I believe people over polls. And I think that Americans across the board should really be hyper-focused on ensuring that they are registered to vote. And we're seeing in Virginia where, you know, and a cable was cut that took down the system on the last day of, you know, registering to vote. People should take this very seriously and not take for granted and not wait until Election Day to submit their votes. This is so important right now that we do this as early as possible just because of the climate that we're in. And the good thing is people are getting that message, Darian, because at this time in 2016, 1.4 million people had cast their votes in early voting. And now we're looking at 
10.4 million folks. So look at that surge. You know, people are obviously because of COVID and also I'm sure because of wanting to walk their ballot to a ballot box and feel safe and secure about that. I know that's what I did. That's that's another kind of motivator to do it that way. But you know what? Trump keeps trying to like sow all this distrust in voting by mail and vote and ballot drop boxes. But the interesting thing is, especially what we're seeing here in California, is where were all these reports about the California Republican Party creating their own ballot drop boxes and marking some of them as official? So it went so far here where our secretary of state had to write a cease and desist letter about these ballot drop boxes. So while we on one hand, you have Donald Trump saying, oh, you know, you can't trust this. We're seeing the Republican Party in many cases being the ones who are sowing even further distrust by having some sort of like shifty ballot drop boxes like that, that they're doing exactly what they're saying other people are going to do. That's right. And we're seeing people have to stand in line early voting for, you know, 11 hours in some case. Like the dedication that it takes in order to make sure that this is happening and it's happening in a way that works for the American people is really a challenge right now. But we should absolutely be standing in those lines as long as we need to, because it is. It's our kids' future on the line. And, you know, we all know that Donald Trump has shown us three and a half years he has not made government better. Nothing is going to improve. We are stuck at our homes with no plan to get out of COVID with a COVID patient on the road in Air Force One because he has an incompetent government and he has failed to protect the American people. You know, it's interesting to me that the Biden campaign is very organized. They are doing weekends for action both this weekend and next weekend. There's an app that you can download, the Joe app, and you can actually look up your friends and family members' voting records, and you can make sure that they're registered, and you can ping them. And that is really important because, you know, I've been doing calls. You guys have been doing calls. A lot of people will not take a call from someone they don't know, but they will take a call of a family member. So when you call someone in Pennsylvania and you say, you know, please, please vote for Biden, this is why, you know, they're going to listen to you and you can report it actually on the app. So I know they've got those two weekends of action and they're also actively planning all of the officials who would bring competence back to government so that we could actually get our kids back to school, so that we could have a functioning National Security Council, and so that we can actually stand up to oppressive organizations like the Taliban. That we are talking about standing up to the Taliban as an endorsement for our current (laughs) president is still beyond me. What is is life right now? I I don't understand. And that Trump is talking about how, as part of his Trump speech, he's talking about the economy and he's talking about how he was nominated for the Nobel Prize. Like he's still, he truly, I think in his heart, believes that he is on the right track and he is the greatest president that ever existed. And I just think to have that sort of confidence, I can't imagine. Well, it's interesting because he's now spun it so that now it's a a validation of his power and expertise that he has had COVID. Like he's talking about like, well, I've had it. I know. 
He's so strong. He's so strong. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's become something that he now wears as a badge of honor, which is very curious because before, you know, anyone who's in any way vulnerable, whether it's our military, whether it's pre-existing conditions, whether it's our sick, whether it's folks that are, are down on their luck, you know, he's always been very quick to kick down, kick down and kiss up, right? Right. But now that he's been one of those people, well, that means you're strong. That means you're a survivor. You can't, again, have it both ways. No, no. And it's this idea of immunity is one that scientifically we are already seeing people be reinfected. So, you know, I know we talked about President Trump is behind 38 percent of the world's disinformation about coronavirus, but it is having real life consequences. And the words that come out of his mouth are not just dangerous to those who are listening to it, but really to the world's population. We're three weeks away, ladies. And like, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but this week I felt like a little bit of fatigue, you know, of oh, every all day. of these stories. Every day. Trump fatigue. I think, <laughs> you know, every week it's something new, some new disaster. And it's hard not to feel exhausted and to feel weary in the situation. And I think, you know, if all three of us are feeling this, I what everyday Americans are thinking feeling and thinking and how exhausted and how tired they must be of the constant 24-hour news cycle that is full of drama. And the shadow boxing. That's right. That's exactly right. I saw something on Instagram that said, anyone else concerned about the 2020 season finale? And like you had to chuckle and at the same time, it really does feel that way. Like I I feel like we're rushing in like a speeding train towards something and I'm not sure what that is. Right. And you have to laugh to keep from crying in some instances. I think back to 2016 during the election and everyone said, well, I mean, there are checks and balances. How much harm could he cause this country? And four years later, I look back and I think I could not have predicted any of this would have happened. The answer to how much harm can be caused in this country is a whole hell of a lot because with Amy Coney Barrett, depending on what happens with the Senate, if Trump, God forbid, gets another four years, I mean, I I don't want to think about like how feeling emboldened at that point, what they will do. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you, Johanna. Like this is the last few weeks. We have to put everything we've got into this and not stop talking about it, no matter how fatigued we feel, not stop encouraging people to vote, not stopping doing whatever we can do, contributing to campaigns, because it really is all on the line. It is. I know Darian said, brought up last week, you know, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks of, you know, we have to protect our election security, because if we don't protect our election security, right, then then you're in a situation where the world has to make a decision of whether they're going to recognize this as a free or fair election. And the fact that we are even mentioning those words in America Darian, and I brought it up with another girlfriend, and she's like, it literally sent chills down my spine. Let's not regret any moment of inaction. Let's get our ourselves to whatever we have to do to get Biden and Harris into that White House. That's exactly right. And as we talk about a potential Biden-Harris win, there's another win that we need to celebrate. 
this week, and it's our POTUS of the week. On Sunday, the Los Angeles Lakers won their first NBA championship in 10 years, and in doing so, made history on behalf of their governor and controlling owner, Jeannie Buss. With the title, she became the first woman ever to win an NBA championship. So congratulations to her. Congratulations to the city of Los Angeles and to the Lakers. We heard the fireworks. Yes. Did you hear the fireworks, Alejandra? I didn't, but (laughs) I I felt them. Very excited. And thank you, LeBron and all the Lakers. This is a a great time for our city. Oh, it's awesome. We have a very special shout out this week for our friend Sandra Abervaya. Sandra and her husband, Brian Wallach, have been battling ALS. Brian was diagnosed and was not supposed to reach the age of 40, but he turned 40 on Friday, defying the odds of his diagnosis of ALS. And the two of them are raising two young kids, so every day counts. But what they're doing with their days is inspirational. They have stood up an entire initiative to fight for all who suffer from ALS called I Am ALS. So we are so excited and proud of Sandra and Brian and all of the love that they have shown each other and so many more as they continue the fight for everyone. Absolutely. And for Brian to have become a patient advocate during this time was just, again, another example of how not only inspirational and courageous, but selfless he is during this time to shift the focus to how he can help the ALS community largely in the U.S. And so, so much love to Sandra and Brian. We love you guys. We were at the White House with them, so we've known them for a long time. And and we just we just want to give you so much love. So much love. You are such an inspiration. Your you know, story of resilience means so much to all of us. And we are cheering for you and we are praying for you. And so we send you all of our love. Lots of love. And lots love of love you. to all of you guys. Um, thank you for being with us this week. Next week, we have a very special interview that I'll keep a secret. But we look forward to continuing this conversation with you guys then. And wish you a good one. Be well. Be well.